This is Geek Gab for Sunday, December 11th, 2016. We are back. That's right. This is our two-year anniversary edition of Geek Gab. And I will, uh, we're going to talk about that more in just a minute. It was just over two years today. When I uh, first invited Doranall to join me on my show, at that point we had a different co-host who has since left us. And then uh, uh, shortly after that, about a month later, Brian first joined us as a co-host. And so this is our two-year anniversary, and uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about the past two years of Geek Gab. But first, let me introduce our co-hosts who have uh, been with us for almost two years now. John, Brian, how's your week? Hey, thanks, Daddy Warpig. My week is good. Uh, I'm happy to be here. I can't believe it's been two years. This is, uh, it's been a, I want to say wild ride, but that's a terrible cliche. It's been good, though. It's been good. How about you, Brian? Oh, it has been tremendous. Thanks to you guys again for inviting me on here. I, I never thought the the simple guest appearance would lead to this, but glad you let me stick around. <laughs> we have had. I want to talk about this because I just think it's neat. This is uh, this is kind of interesting. I went through and garnered a list of. Not all, but most of the guests we've had on The Gab. Over the last two years, we have had uh, John C. Wright, the writer. We've had several writers on the show. Larry Correa, um, Jeff Dunthman, Declan Flynn, uh, Finn, Sky Hernstrom, P. Alexander, the uh, editor of Kursova Magazine, Nick Cole. Jason Rennity, ed editor of Sci-Fi Journal. We have also had um, the Rageaholic as a guest. We have had Adam Baldwin, also known, uh, a, a well-known Hollywood actor, was on the TV show, Chuck, and was Jane on Firefly, came on the show one day. So, uh, and then we've had uh, blogger Bradford Walker, Several developers, including Pixel Metal, uh, the developers of Seedscape, and writer and uh, Twitch gamer Oliver Campbell. Again, that's not every single guest we've ever had, but that is quite a lot of them. So uh, it's been awesome having all these people getting a chance to talk to them. Oh, it's been great. Uh, so many of them I, I fondly remember having a chat with. So... Um, I, I don't want to ask which one is your favorite, but uh, because that's not that's not really what I want to know. What I want to know is which guest would you like to have back on? Actually, I'd, I'd like to have just about any of those guys back on. John uh, C. Wright, Larry Correa, Adam Baldwin, just about any of those guys would be cool to come back. We've had a good time. We haven't had any really like bad guests, have we? No, no. Oh, except no. That, that guy who was. Um, that guy from the Sci-Fi Journal, who was it, uh, Niemeyer? Yeah. <laughs> Getting predictable. 
Oh, yeah. Never play the big rooms that way, kid. You gotta get new material. Oh, all right. Hey, that, that'll that's a, that'll be my New Year's resolution. It's it's almost the end of the year. We'll be starting. Uh, <laughs> let's call it season three of Geek Gab. I'll work on my material. How about that? Um. And this is the thing we've had, we've talked about a lot of great stuff. We've had a lot of great episodes where we talked about different things. Um, is there any particular episode that you really enjoyed? I'm I'm gonna have to say I particularly enjoyed the Larry Curry episode, even though <laughs> thank, thanks to YouTube, I didn't actually get to talk to Larry because you had to interview him through your phones. <sighs> we've had to do that two or three times time. now. Yeah, that was uh, that was the only thing that stopped me from saying like uh, saying Adam Baldwin was that that was one of those uh, those fun interview things. I think the the most uh, the most fun I've had on a on a special guest was Razor Fist. Yeah, for one where I actually got to talk, I I have to agree with you. Although um, it basically the show basically turned into the Rageaholic for for an hour, <laughs> which was fun. <laughs> I was looking back through the show. Normally we do half an hour, and, and we're pretty solid about that. Um, and there was an episode early, early on that was just me and Brian, and we did an entire hour show, which kind of surprised me. I was like, wait a minute. That must have been like, because when we very first started out, we were doing hour-long shows. Uh, we cut it down to half an hour later. That must have been one of the very last hour-long episodes. I was like, wow, I can't even... It gives me headaches thinking about having to come up with material to talk about for an hour. I think that's the demarcation between Geek Gab seasons one and two. Because I think we were doing our long shows and then went on a hiatus for a while. And when we came back, you, you said, okay, we're limiting this to half an hour. I said, okay. Yeah, that was sort of, I, I, if I recall correctly, we sort of came to that consensus where we were just sort of talking about it and, and we all sort of said, this. This hour-long thing, that's a little too long, isn't it? Oh, you're right. You're absolutely right. I forgot that. We went on hiatus between April and September of 2015. And the last show we did in April was an hour-long show, and all the ones before then an hour long. And when we came back, we started doing half-hour shows. I forgot that. That's that's when it just uh, that's when it stopped being just sort of a thing that we did it, uh, you know, for fun every week. And uh, you know, we we started really thinking about the show as a thing and like what we wanted to do and, and talk about with it. Trying to make it better for the audience. We have an audience, right? We do. We have a couple people in chat even right now. Hey everybody. Thanks for joining us. Hello audience. Um, which for Sunday afternoon when I just announced the show about an hour ago is pretty big. Here's the thing though. The one thing I would like to do that I still have not managed to find a way of doing because of Google plays or whatever the Google thing we do it through, is theme music. I would like a theme song. Oh, yeah. Is that, is that something we can't do over Google Hangouts? Is that why? I can't figure out a way to pipe the music in and play it and then turn it off. Uh, other than, like, you know, playing it out loud and trying to capture it on my, on my microphone like we were doing with the phone. Well, I'll we have could, to... We could... Our, we could use our microphone, right? Let's let's work on some acapella thing that we could do. We'll, we'll just sing for the intro. That sounds truly terrible. Um, let me tell you, my favorite episode, I don't even know why it's, not my favorite 
episode because that would be you know the Adam Baldwin, Larry Career, John C. Wright. Um, but my favorite topic that we ever talked about was uh, Penny Dreadful, Showtime's little dreadful horror series. Um, I don't know why. I just really, as I was looking back about at the subjects we've covered, that one just really kind of struck out as, as something I really enjoyed talking about. Being able to talk about horror and dive into the genre and how the show fit into it and what worked and what didn't work, things like that. And nobody I like a, says anything. <laughs> I, that's interesting. I didn't actually... Uh... I didn't. I don't remember that episode very well. I think it was, uh, it was think, a while ago. It was back in June. Oh, okay. I, I think. Um, I think I like all the movie stuff that we do, especially when one of us hasn't seen it, and then you know they get to they get to play the audience surrogate and ask a bunch of dumb questions. <laughs> well, I did enjoy the Penny Dreadful episode. I think uh, Daddy Warpig made a lot of great points about horror, but. I tend to enjoy the gaming-related episodes where we will just talk about Dordal's game or where people talk about his pet peeves in gaming. I'll talk about how I've tortured my players. It's, it's good times. Oh, yeah, I got another one of those rants saved up for, uh, for whenever we need to talk about gaming. And I just, uh, I just started, a, uh, started playing in a 5th edition D&D campaign, so I've had two sessions so far. So at some point near in the future, I will have uh, my own comments about uh, playing uh, so I can finally participate in, in more than just a, um, in more than just a theoretical uh, fashion. All right. So it, let me ask you a question. Um, I had no idea we'd still be doing this two years later. I'm, it's not a complaint. It's just kind of like, huh, we've been doing this for two whole years. Um, is there anything we haven't done that you think we ought to do? Wow, that's a great question. That's going to take some thought. <laughs> I'm stumping the audience today. I'm stumping the co-hosts today. Wow. Now that's, okay, that question just demonstrated the one thing that we we haven't done or don't do enough that we could which is that would have been, been a perfect question to submit ahead of time for us to think about <laughs> well that's the problem i didn't think of it until just like right now i know i know show prep like while i'll stand here with three by five index cards like james lipton or something yeah we we don't do a lot of prep here uh on the show guys well l let me talk to you about why I think that is because because from my perspective this is sort of an extension of something that Daddy Warpig and I uh, do or he used to do before we got involved in this um, as most of you know you know we're good friends uh, from uh, way back uh, when I lived in his neck of the woods and uh, since I moved away we we'll, uh, I'll occasionally have a phone call with him um, you know as, as friends might do and it'll, it's usually me and my wife uh, we'd 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 uh, we'd call him up to see how he's doing, and, and then we'd end up talking, you know, pop culture stuff, geek stuff, uh, like that. So when he said, when Daddy Warbrick said, "Hey, I'm going to do this, uh, I'm going to do this broadcast. Would you like to come on and talk about uh, this stuff with me?" Um, to my mind, it was this was just an extension of one of those conversations, right? 
So, so from my, my perspective, uh, we're just hanging out and chatting about geek stuff, which is the show, right? So that's why I think we don't have any preparation or anything like that, because it's just like that. It's just like calling up a couple of friends and having a gab. It, I mean, that, and that approach does have its weaknesses, I'll admit. It has its weaknesses in that um, it can be rambling, loser, lose track of different points, whatever. But at the same time, um, I tend, I find that I come up with better stuff off the fly than I tend to do if I write it down earlier. I end up throwing out all the stuff I wrote down anyway. Get under pressure. Yeah, I don't know why I'm I'm better so under pressure are, than I am. There there are strategists who draw intricate, you know, perfect plans and then implement them. Then there are tacticians who walk into a room and take a read of the room and just improv. And I think you're we are all more the latter, I think. It works that way with my gaming too. When I was a game master, I would plan a couple of sessions of stuff, and then, like, the very next session, I'd have to throw it all away because whatever I came up with was more interesting than what I had planned to have, what I planned to do, so. And, th and that's what killed me when I started Dungeon Master, because uh, you and, and the other uh, great Dungeon Masters, uh, Game Masters that I've played with, in, no matter the system, have had that style. Where they, where they have they they've got this core of a thing they want to tell, and then everything else is off the cuff, and um, and that was a huge pitfall for me because I can't game that way, um, and it was it was just a revelation for me to realize that I needed to do a more traditional old school style of game where I sit back and I run the system and let the players drive the the things that were going on. That's the kind of thing I've always wanted to do as a game master. It's just never quite worked out for me, is have a world set up so the players could go out and just interact with and go and uh, not provide strong hooks for them. It, it tends not to work out for me. My games tend to run better if I provide a strong hook and then, and then let the players go, to give them that initial direction and then let them run with it. Yeah, it'd be, it can be hard to implement just the pure sandbox-style world unless you're with a group that you've been gaming with for like a decade or more and you know all their quirks, you can almost anticipate what they're going to do before they do it. And you know that if you just you know, put this widget in the corner, they'll, they'll be drawn to it. <laughs> well, um, I don't know. I don't think there's anything else I really wanted to... That was basically everything I wanted to cover on the like retrospective portion. Um, I did want to... I just. It's exciting to me that we've been doing this for two years. It's exciting to me that we're still getting, we're still improving. We haven't uh, plateaued as far as the quality of the show goes. We're still trying to get better at, at doing the show and practice doing the show. And for something that's pretty much casual, that we're not making money on, we're not doing professionally, um, we don't have ads or anything, whatever. YouTube might have ads, but we don't see any dime from that. Um, it makes me happy that we're we're doing better every week, uh, or just about every week. There are the rare occasions when I, I cringe at listening to a show uh, later, but uh, for the most part, yeah, we're getting better and better, and that makes me happy. So, 
them. We're attracting some new faces in the chat, like Yakov Merkin, who is watching right now. Um, he's also an author, has a book coming out soon, I understand. So, Well, if he wants to come on the show, you know, by all means. Yeah, dude, just uh, DM me on Twitter. Um, so I will say this. I am, I am glad both of you agreed to come on the show and, and be my co-hosts. I've... Uh, I certainly enjoyed the time we spent together, and this is not a goodbye. It, if anyone in the audience, retrospectives like this are, are traditionally done at the end of a series. Uh, this is not the end of Geek Cap. We're going to keep going. I just wanted to to celebrate the two years we've been on the air. Um, and yeah. thank you both for, for coming along on this. Feeling is mutual. I'm, I'm humbled and honored to be part of this band of brothers, this august company. Likewise. And, and on a personal note, it's it's been great to have uh, Brian on uh, because the two of you guys have brought in so many authors and things that uh, you have nearly almost rekindled my desire to actually read a book for fun. <laughs> uh, it's it, It's been great. Uh, it's been great exposure for me personally. The ironic thing is, all my reading now is old, old reading. Like, I'm reading the Lensman series, uh, which is published in the 50s. Um, before that, I was reading, uh, you know, Conan the Barbarian, published in the 20s and 30s. And, uh, and so all, pretty much all of my reading, with a few rare exceptions now, is of old stuff of authors that in order to get them on the show, we'd actually have to contract with a necromancer to resurrect their dead bodies and, and allow them to speak with us. Um, but, yeah. May I be granted a one-time dispensation concerning the occasion to break, you know, to, to bend the no-politics rule? Uh, okay. Well, you know, Hillary Clinton isn't doing anything if you need a necromancer. <laughs> that is all... <laughs> By the way, well, uh, with former, that, <laughs> I was gonna say former former guest Bradford Walker, Walker is, is uh, listening, and you know he will just be tickled pink to know you're reading Lensman. That's all I got. Um, with that, let's uh, let's transition to the last like ten fifteen minutes of the show. There is only so long we can sit here and, and uh, talk about how awesome things have been before we want to start moving forward. I missed a couple movies in the theater. Um, and so I moved into a new place, uh, which is one of the reasons why we had to skip a week there. And convenient to the new place is what is increasingly misnamed the Dollar Theater, which is now charging fully $3 for its show, for its shows. But it's a second-run theater, so if I miss movies when they first came out, now I can go see them later for much, much cheaper. And on this occasion that I am speaking of, the day after I moved in, or shortly after I moved in, I went and saw two movies that I'd wanted to see, one of which was Tim Burton's X-Men First Class, otherwise known as Miss Peregrine's Home for, and I can't even remember the name now, Unusual Extraordinary Children. And then I also saw the new... Uh, the new Magnificent Seven. So, for the last part of the show, as was suggested, I can talk a little bit about those, uh, or if you have anything else that you guys have 
read, seen, played, experienced, or enjoyed. We can talk about that as well. Okay. I should also mention that John's NFL team is losing right now. No. But we have high hopes that they will pull it out in the last five minutes the way they did, what, two years ago? <laughs> if you need to leave, we'll, we'll understand. We need some personal time. <laughs> Everything's fine. Everything's under control. Did I, now I'm, I'm just guessing that neither of you saw either of those movies, right? Correct. I, right. I didn't. And this was an instance in which I mentioned them. I didn't mention what we were going to talk about on the show, but at least I did mention them, so there was the opportunity of, of going and seeing them. Well, let me talk about the Tim Burton movie first. If you've seen a Tim Burton movie, you know what you're in for. It's a Tim Burton movie, stem to stern. The only shock, the only surprising thing is that Tim Burton didn't cast his wife in the movie, so... Who, and she is in every other Tim Burton movie. Um, so, I, I wish I could say a whole lot more about it. It wasn't a bad movie, but it was definitely a Tim Burton movie. Um, it was gothic, it was dark, it was, you know, it was exactly what you would expect based on the trailers. This is an instance in which the trailer to the movie let you know, and it didn't give away major plot points, but it did let you know exactly what the movie was going to be. If you saw the trailer, you would go to the movie and have absolutely be, uh, your expectations were fulfilled. So, on that level, it was very, very, you know, very, very satisfying. It does not have Helena Bottom Carter in it. It doesn't have Johnny Depp in it. But other than that, it is exactly what you would expect from a Tim Burton movie. So, yeah, Tim, Tim Burton's career is one of those Hollywood tragedies because here's this guy. He definitely has talent. He's got a very intense personal vision. And he, he makes a Hollywood blockbuster. He makes Batman. Then basically gets carte blanche to make whatever he wants. Turns it a very deeply personal pro project, uh, Edward Scissorhands, and it does better than anyone expected. But then it was with, with Big Fish, I believe is the name of the movie. It was his most intensely personal. It, he, he even said he was working through some issues with his father after his father's passing, and it bombed. And after that, it seemed to just break him, kind of. So he's just been like, okay... I'm now going to stop innovating. I will just churn out Tim Burton movies for the rest of my career. <laughs> and I think Tim Burton's a guy who could definitely benefit from a change of pace. Like um, some guys on one podcast I listened to recommended that he should go into television. Just do like a Showtime or HBO or even, even like, um, you know, AMC. Well, do a miniseries or something. Exactly. That's yeah, revitalized more than one career. Uh, the audience may not have heard me. David Lynch did that with Twin Peaks. Um, so there's definitely, it's not the end of your career as a Hollywood director. It's just, you know, a sideline, something you do to um, well, don't break forget, the you, you're, you're, right. 
don't forget if you get the right project, I mean, you could even do better. There's so much good stuff on TV today that's not bogged down by the, you know, the Hollywood bullshit. Yeah, I mean, if you wanted to do something on Showtime or HBO or even, uh, you know, FX or one of the other basic cable channels, there's a lot of really good stuff that's out there. Uh, AMC, uh, infamously or famously, does stuff. So, yeah, that could, that could very easily revitalize his career. And as, as much as I want to rag on TV for basically being a terrible waste of time, and, and everybody really shouldn't watch any of it, but even CBS, I mean, I, uh, Mrs. Dornell and I just caught up with the last season of Person of Interest, and it was canceled, so they did a shortened 13-episode season. Uh, but it was a great, you know, cyberpunk dystopian uh, future show, uh, and it was, it, was a, it was a nice, satisfying ending. That was on CBS, guys. Uh, your NCIS network. <laughs> yeah, for person of interest was great. I, I keep meaning to watch that. But, oh, speaking of what Danny Warpig said, so is there any truth to the rumor that Twin Peaks is coming back? Yes, it's in production right now. It's coming is, to Showtime next year. It's going to be sometime. Is, is Lynch still in charge? Yes. Oh, nice. I, I, I did hear that um, one of the people I cast was Jane Levy from Suburgatory and the Evil Dead remake, who is my personal choice to play character of Aslan in a speculative version, a movie version of Soul Dancer. So I, I approve. Um, yeah, I'm actually I'm actually looking really forward to it. I, I I'm a Twin Peaks fan. I didn't see Twin Peaks when I was first on the air. I caught it like eight years later, nine years later, when my friend got back his copy of the VHS tapes. He had the full box set that he he can't ever watch because he had to keep on loaning them to different friends. He finally right. got it back and I watched the entire series in a week. Um, so, and I was upset. Once I watched the entire series, I was upset. I'm like, it's a tragedy. This got taken off the air. I mean, I can see why it isn't a big people-pleasing show. So it may not be something that's suited for network television at that point in time or even today, but definitely, definitely um, would be just that original series would be great on on uh, basic cable or even HBO or Showtime. So I'm hoping that the Showtime uh, Twin Peaks series is as good. So, all right, Magnificent Seven. Um, naming the Magnificent Seven just puts a lot of weight on the movie because it is actually a really excellent western. It's, an, it's a really good Western. It's a modern Western, and I enjoyed it on that level. If you just take away the Magnificent Seven name and don't compare it to the first movie, don't expect it to be the first movie, then uh, it's a perfectly enjoyable show. Really, really good. It doesn't get obnoxious and preachy. I've got a big sheaf of notes over there that I took during it that I haven't even begun to refer to, but I enjoyed it thoroughly. It was well worth the three bucks I spent to go see it. That's really surprising here, and and I'm glad because I I caught the trailers and and the whole the whole casting of it made it seem like it was going to be just a cheesy cash grab, and so that's why I passed on it. They they do do the like United Colors of Benetton casting where they have one Mexican guy and an African American gentleman and an Indian and a drunk Irishman, a drunk Irishman, yeah, um, and so on and so forth, but. None of those characters are superfluously diverse. They all actually have 
meaning within the movie. Their role, their identity as a character actually has some impact on the story. And so it's not just done to be, to, to fall into the diverse quota, the writer of it. And, and the director of the movie, by the way, is Antoine Fuqua, who directed Training Day and uh, several other movies, who is actually a really skilled director. He's, he's done some movies that have not done as well at the box office, but were nonetheless very, you know, skillfully made movies. And uh, he can make a great movie, and this is a good, good movie. I was expecting it to be much worse. I was expecting it to be a travesty, a painful, painful travesty, and it was not a painful, painful travesty. So I'm, uh, I was very, very happy about that. Um, That's a pleasant surprise. It is. It was actually a pleasant, a very, very pleasant surprise. I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, and of course, Chris Pratt is a genius in it because if you let Chris Pratt be Chris Pratt, play one of those characters. Apparently, he's a really, really good action star who could turn in a fun and funny performance. Um, I'll watch Star Lord in a western. Why not? <laughs> he's halfway there already. Um. And, and I want to contrast that with last night's uh, debacle. Um, I, I watched Ghostbusters last night. The new Ghostbusters. Oh, my God. Oh, I'm sorry. Here's the thing. It's not the worst movie I've ever seen. I've seen way worse movies than this. Worse acted movies, worse directed movies. It obviously has a a high budget, and they spent a ton of money on this thing. And I'm just saying I could tell okay. that from watching it, not just from, like, reading news stories. But the primary crime of the movie, the greatest sin it had, it just wasn't funny. There was one line in the entire movie that I kind of chuckled at, but the rest of the movie just wasn't funny. And all of the problems people have said about the movie are true. Every single male character is either an idiot or evil. That's absolutely true. Um, there was a stupid long running gag about the wontons and the soup that didn't need to be there. That's absolutely true. Uh, all of the cameos by the original cast were kind of insulting and tacked on. Um, that's absolutely true. But the biggest sin is it just wasn't funny. Yeah, that, that, is, that is unforgivable for, for comedy. I mean, they, they had to know they were playing with fire. To try to take a comedy, which ask anybody in Hollywood, comedy is the hardest genre to get right. You know, ask previous uh, GigaB guest Nick Cole, and you're going to try to just shoehorn dreary, tired, PC scolding into a comedy and still hope it turns out okay. That, that's juggling a lot of chainsaws right there. Yeah. So it's, it's not like it was... I mean, it's tragic and insulting at the same time. It's tragic that it was a comedy, that they wasted a lot of good material. Here's the thing, too. The actual plot of the movie, like the mechanics of the movie, could have made a, a great Ghostbusters 3 with the original cast. Um, they have a villain who has devices that he can plant, and it causes a bunch of problems in the you know astral plane or ethereal plane that summons a terrible ghost, and they have to go and eventually stop this villain from his evil plan. And it falls apart in the third act, 
But up until that point, it could have been the backbone for a great Ghostbusters 3. Because that's a good setup. Here, it's kind of thematically mirrors what the Ghostbusters themselves do. They catch ghosts with this, you know, technology and lock them away. This guy summons ghosts, creates them to being. Well, he's not doing it because of a cult, the way that the, happened in the first uh, Ghostbusters Evo Shandor's cult. He's doing it using technology that uh, it turns out is ripped off of the Ghostbusters themselves. And so it could have been a good film. It could have been. Uh, a great Ghostbusters 3 episode, uh, or Ghostbusters 3 movie, but it just wasn't, and it wasn't funny, and they're working with all this material that could be hilarious, but just isn't. So that's the part that was tragic, and then the part that was insulting was the fact that they are doing Ghostbusters, and it's garbage. It's just not funny. Um... And that part was insulting to the memory of the original Ghostbusters movie. So, I, If I may apply massive conjecture here, it sounds like all the things that you said made this script potentially good are the problem, is that they were working so hard to make a quote-unquote Ghostbusters movie to, to put it in that um, setting. They weren't focused on the actual goal, which is what Brian was saying. It's got to be funny. Like, you, it, did Harold Ramis set out to make, a, you know, I'm going to create this cool universe? Or did he set out to make, I'm going to make, I've got this cool idea, I'm going to make a really funny movie out of this? Right? Well, actually, Dan Aykroyd set out to say, I've got this really cool universe. Harold Ramis reined him in and said, no, it's got to be funny. And the two of them actually spent like an entire weekend in Martha's Vineyard down at a bomb shelter hashing out the final script. And Ramus cut like a lot of... Yeah, go ahead. They, they specifically made the decision when they were making Ghostbusters not to make it a raunchy comedy. They specifically cut out all of that material. Um, and there's only very small traces of it left in the movie. And so it's a clean, family-friendly movie, and that's what you expect Ghostbusters to be. But Ghostbusters, the new one, they completely decided to go back to a gross-out comedy. It's not a sex comedy, but it's definitely a gross-out comedy. They talk about a lot of gross things. They have the vomiting of the, you know, ectoplasm, and it's just not, it's just not what Ghostbusters is supposed to be. It's like taking Mary Poppins and making it a raunchy teen sex comedy. That's just not what Mary Poppins is supposed to be. You are doing damage to the very concept of the thing you're supposedly, you know, paying homage to. Yeah, so and that, I'll... Go ahead. No, no, that was it. Yeah. Well said. And also amplified Dornall's point, which I agree with nitpicking aside, that, look, these are not amateurs. These are not first-time filmmakers they're all established directors, writers, and actors and actresses. They knew what they were doing. They had to know it wouldn't be funny. No one can be that tone deaf. So, yeah, it's... I, I take it as a deliberate slight, personally. Well, there's a lot of things in there I could see where you would think it was funny, but they just didn't strike me as particularly entertaining. Um... At one point, one of the characters turns on one of the new guns, and it's overpowered. And so she spends a couple of minutes 
being thrown around like a deflating balloon. And they even make that comment. You can think, oh, yeah, I could see where somebody might think that was slapstick and funny, but it isn't. So. All right. Well, we are over time, as is usual. Before we go, before we uh, put the uh, finishing touches on this uh, two-year anniversary ed edition of Geek Gab, is there any, uh, any final thoughts? Go ahead. Hey, uh, like I said at the top of the show, it's been a great time. I'm happy uh, to have been doing this show with y'all. Um, thanks to the folks who are listening right now and later on the podcast. Uh, I'm looking forward to another year and more. Yes, right. been fantastic. It's been, been a fantastic time. Ronald said, great ride. I do have to get in the mandatory plug. My third Soul Cycle novel, The Secret Kings, is going to be coming out within two weeks. Launch will be hard to miss, I'll just say that. All right, so we have that look to look forward to, guys. Thanks for tuning into the show. This is Geek Gab. We're here roughly every week, um, or less. And uh, you can catch us on iTunes. The link to which is in the description, or just do a search for Geek Gab. You can catch us on the Google Play Store. Uh, if you have an Android device, you can catch us on SoundCloud uh, under Geek Gab. And, of course, we do our show live on YouTube. You can come and join in the audience chat if you happen to catch the announcements when we go live. We, uh, is there anything else that, any other homework, any other house cleaning? I think that's it. Sorry, I, I was listening to retrospectives earlier, so a lot of the things we used to talk about on the show at the end, we don't have to talk about anymore. We really appreciate you guys listening for the last couple of years. Uh, and we look forward to doing many, many more of these shows because although this has been a retrospective and although we're thanking you all for tuning in, this is not the end of Geek Gap. And indeed, we are signing off for today, but don't worry, we will be back.